Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to uh, start a new series today that the Lord put on my heart. Uh, earlier in the summer, I was having a conversation with a good friend and, and was telling him, he said, what's, what's, uh, what's the Lord putting on your heart? What's God saying to you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm real excited. I think we're going to start a series on the fruit of the Spirit soon. And, uh, and that was a few months back, and I'm just real excited to be able to get started into that series. Uh, we had to finish the series we were in first before we could jump uh, into this, but I'm really excited and I feel like God wants to speak some things into our hearts. I believe this series, um, which we're going to do through the month of October, I believe this series is going to present us with some challenges. I know that as I've been studying for it, I've been getting my toes stepped on, you know, by the Holy Spirit. I've been getting challenged. Um, When you start talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you're dealing with issues of character, and those are sometimes hard pills to swallow. <laughs> so I, I want to do my very best to make this as encouraging and uplifting as an exciting and as exciting as I can. Uh, and I believe God's going to inspire us and challenge us to grow. How many of you want to grow? Amen. And we have to understand that as we grow, resistance comes with growth, or I should say growth comes with resistance. Uh, we're going to go to the gym for the next few weeks, and we're going to learn about the character of God. And as we do that, it's going to influence our character, uh, not just for our sakes, but for the generations that come beyond us. And that's what's so valuable Uh, one of the things that's so valuable about what we're going to talk about. So I ask for you this morning to turn to Galatians chapter 5. For those who are watching, you can follow along with us. Uh, As you're turning to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to make our declaration of faith that we make every Sunday. And I just never, ever, ever get tired of saying this and declaring this out loud. So I want you to read with me uh, for those watching online and for those in the house this morning. Let's declare this out loud together. Say this together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. You know, confession is such an important thing. Churches throughout the ages have held fast to confessions, things that they are convicted of, things that they believe. Creeds and confessions have always been a part of church and of church history. And I'm so glad that we have our confession that we declare over ourselves every Sunday, that we're growing in the things of God. I don't know about you, but I expect to be six inches taller spiritually by the time I leave today. Amen? I'm growing in the things of God, and I believe you are too. We're starting a new series today titled Olive and Fig, a study on the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and just at the very outset, let me answer the looming question, which is why olive and fig? Well, Several reasons. Number one, the olive and the fig are the two most frequently mentioned fruits in the Bible. I bet you didn't know that. They're the two most, oh, thanks, babe. (laughs) 
My wife said, no. <laughs> They're the two most frequently mentioned fruits in the Bible. And since we're talking about fruit of the Spirit or fruits of the Spirit, it seemed to make sense. We can actually learn some spiritual principles by looking at the fig plant and the olive plant. And we'll do that throughout the next several weeks. Number two, it's just a cool sounding name. Right? Olive and fig is just a cool sounding name. Because it could be a great church series on the Bible. It also could be the latest hipster Italian restaurant in town. Right? Frankie tells me all the time I'm very bougie. I would probably eat at a place like Olive and Fig. Amen. As I would, with excitement. Y'all, y'all going to Olive and Fig tonight? Yeah, we got, we got reservations. I heard those are really hard to get. Yeah, they are. We know somebody on the inside. Praise God. Tonight, the special is lasagna. <laughs> As I was studying, I found out, I just started to dig through the Bible from start from Genesis to Revelation and just dig through. It's like, what does the Bible say about fruit? And it says a ton about fruit. How many of you know God is very, very interested in our lives bearing fruit? John chapter 15, Jesus talks to us about fruit bearing. And what he says to us is that the Father is actually glorified when we bear fruit. That's an intense concept. It's a very, it's a very encouraging concept that actually God receives the most glory from our lives when our lives are actually productive in producing fruit for his kingdom. That is significant and something we don't need to overlook. So God very much cares about fruit. I want to read for you our key verses, which is verse 22 and 23 of Galatians chapter 5, and then I'm going to pray. Galatians 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Aren't you glad that it's not against the law to walk in love? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad it's not against the law to be patient? It's not against the law to have self-control currently. It's not against the law to show compassion. Amen. We're going to dive into this stuff this week. Let's pray over this time. Father, we bless you today. Once again, so thankful that we have this opportunity to come before your word and receive something fresh. Lord, we ask that today we would see something maybe that we've never even seen in the Bible before. Just show us something that's new to our hearts, that, 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 that gets unfolded and unpacked inside of us uh, in a fresh way. Let revelation from your spirit and your word come and just illuminate our hearts today. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to receive. We're eager and we're ready to receive from your hands. So thank you for your blessing upon this time. Holy Spirit, speak as you desire to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine different things that the Apostle Paul outlines for us and for the Galatians in this letter. 
Now, if you understand anything about context, which I assume that you do if you've listened to me preach for any length of time, because I'm very big on context. Context is the backdrop by which we understand the word that is spoken to us. To take a scripture out of its context is to take a fish out of water. It's not going to survive, right? So, so we don't want to just merely isolate these two scriptures and pull them out of the context and the backdrop that Paul gave for us. You follow what I'm saying? It's very important that we then study the context so that we can get a good understanding of what Paul's saying. Now, the overarching, I'm going to go fast here for just a second. The overarching context of the book of Galatians is the um, understanding that we as Christians, particularly as Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jewish Christians. Is there anybody in here that's Jewish? All right. If you're watching online, I saw you raise your hand. Um, since, since none of us or most of us are not Jewish in nature, we're Gentile Christians, meaning that we believed in Jesus, but our nationality and our people didn't have a covenant with God the way that the Jews did. That's why Jesus came to this earth was to redeem all of humanity. And so when these people were getting saved in the first century, Paul was out preaching all over the region of Galatia, which is in southeastern, southwestern Turkey, modern day southwestern Turkey on the northeastern rim of the Mediterranean Sea. When Paul was ministering to the Galatians and then in that region, he was getting lots and lots of people who were not Jews that were coming to Christ. And what would happen, we kind of remember this maybe from our series on the book of Acts this past summer. What would happen is after Paul would preach in a, in a city, he would move on to the next city and behind him in the city he just left would be this group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were Paul's biggest irritation in the ministry. If you've ever served in ministry, there's some irritating things about it. And this was Paul's biggest irritation. The Judaizers would come in and they would say to the people that just gave their lives to Christ, they would say, you know what? That was great. We're so glad you got saved. Welcome to the family. Now, here's what you got to do. You got to start observing all the traditions of the Jewish faith. You got to start keeping the law of Moses. You got to be circumcised. You got to cut your hair a certain way. You've got to eat certain foods and you got to abstain from other kinds of foods. And they came in in a religious fashion and brought all of the bondage of the Hebrew tradition and tried to put them on people who were not Jewish. They'd simply received Jesus and received the free gift of salvation, and now their free gift was being polluted by religious tradition. And so Paul takes an entire book, the book of Galatians, to explain to these Gentile Christians that they're not under the law. They're under grace. That their salvation was not dependent on their actions, but their actions were actually a byproduct of their salvation experience. In other words, you don't have to really be good to get God to love you and save you, but once God saves you, naturally, your actions are going to change and you're going to start doing good things. This is the overarching context of the book of Galatians. I want to read to you from verses 16 and 17 in this same passage to help us deepen our understanding of the context. You doing good so far? Verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit 
and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, let me just put, hit the pause button for a second and explain. When we read the word lust, so often we think of something that has, is sexual in nature, and we think of something very highly inappropriate. The word lust actually means strong desire. That's it. If you hang out with me, you realize I lust for things like pizza and cheeseburgers. Amen. Glory to God. Really fresh waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. Very few things do it to you like that. I'm going to tell you what. The word lust is any strong desire, good or bad. Well, Pastor Josh, how can we say that a, fl- a lust is good? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lusts. Verse 17, we just read it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has a strong desire for you and I to not be led around by our flesh? See, this is the backdrop. This is the context of the fruits of the Spirit. Because our, our flesh, our, our, our carnal desires, the things that our flesh wants to do are contrary to what God's Spirit desires for us. And if we don't understand that this mechanism is at work trying to derail our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to get caught. We're, we're going to get troubled. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to spend our time working so hard to try to be good people when the reality is by simply yielding to the Spirit of God, He will begin to build His fruits on the inside of us. And they will become the byproduct of His work in our character. Amen. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, we put this in reverse. Y'all have heard this statement before. We put the cart before the horse. Paul says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what we try to do? Work so hard to not fulfill the lust in the flesh so that I can walk in the spirit. we, We try so hard to just, oh, I'm gonna be a good person. And the next thing we know, lust of the flesh. Boom. And then what do we do? Feel guilty. Condemnation comes. Boy, if you were just a better Christian, guess you didn't pray enough this morning. Dirt bag. Boy, I'll tell you what, God, I just don't think Jesus loves you very much anymore. You know, somebody that's been saved as long as you ought to know better. Sounds like experience is exactly right. Amen. Exactly right. You know, the enemy, man, he'll, he'll stop at nothing to derail our flesh. But the, but the reality is you don't have to spend all your time trying not to be in the flesh. Rather, if you and I spend our time simply yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, I won't have time to walk in the flesh. I'll, I'll be unaware of what's going on in the flesh. Have you ever been so invested in something? Like maybe you got a TV show that you're watching and, uh, you know, my kids will do this, okay? My kids will do this. They'll, they'll have their iPad and, and they got headphones on 
Abigail's got these little pink headphones that have a cute little bow on top of them. And she looks so cute when she has her pink headphones on. And she'll have her pink headphones on, plugged into the iPad, and there, she's watching something, and she's totally invested in it. A flipping bomb could go off in the next room, and she wouldn't know. I mean, for heaven's sake, what would happen if we got to the place of yieldedness to the Spirit of God that we're so busy walking in the Spirit, bombs could be going off in the next room, and our flesh would be so unaware of it. Guys, that's the way we're called to live. That's the idea that Paul wants to communicate in helping us to understand what the fruit of the Spirit actually looks like in our lives. This is the backdrop for him revealing the fruit of the Spirit to us. And for years, I thought that walking in the Spirit only meant the gifts of the Spirit. I was raised in a charismatic church, not unlike this one, where, where we, we valued and we treasured the gifts of God's Spirit. We, man, we loved it when somebody would prophesy. We loved it when there was a miracle that we would see. It. Our tongues and interpretation, man, this is powerful. We got together and we prayed in tongues and whoo, it was electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. And some of you may have come up in churches like that too. And, and, and we, we were very excited about the gifts of God's spirit. And, and when I thought about walking in the spirit, that's what I thought of. I thought, you know, to really walk in the spirit, like what Paul's saying, means I got to prophesy more. Means I got to have more miracles in my ministry. Means I got to have discerning of spirits. None of those things are bad. Those are just the gifts of the spirit. Paul's teaching us about the fruits of the spirit. My gauge, my speedometer, my gauge, my thermometer to gauge how I was walking in the Spirit was whether or not I could prophesy. Paul's gauge for walking in the Spirit is love, joy, patience, gentleness, long-suffering. Not quite as exciting, right? Or at least it doesn't seem like it at the outset. I want to submit to you this morning that walking in the Spirit means more than just being aware of the Spirit of God and the presence of God. Because, you know, you meet some people and they're good, they're good, blessed, charismatic folks. They're into the gifts of the Spirit and they're just a little spooky. Anybody ever went and met a weird Christian? <laughs> Amen. I've met a few. Amen. Amen. And, 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 you know, I just sometimes I just want to be like, hey, man, could you just like be normal? Could you just be normal? Like we're just getting together for coffee. You don't need to bring your tambourine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, bro, put the shofar away. We're just trying to have lunch. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Glory to God. I'm just telling on my people here for just a second, okay? See, I always used to think being in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit was, ooh, I got a word for you, brother. Well, I'm glad you got a word. I just, I'm just trying to buy a candy bar. Can you just please, can I, I got to get to work. 
Walking in the Spirit has, yes, it's important that we yield ourselves to the gifts of the Spirit, but Paul's idea of walking in the Spirit is that our lives demonstrate his fruit as much or more than they demonstrate his gifts. Because his gifts are for the purpose of ministry. And I don't have time to get into all that. But his, per- his gifts are for the purpose of ministry. Most notably out in the community. Not even just in the four walls of church. You ought to have a prophetic word for the lady behind you in the, in the Walmart line. Or like what Gracie said, going to the bathroom. Amen. God will move in any place and any time. Amen. Glory to God. You said holy woman of God. And all I can think of was Batman and Robin. Holy woman of God, Batman. <laughs> Amen. But here's the reality. God's fruits, the fruits of his spirit, the, the keystone elements of his nature are what he wants to birth inside of us. And when we express those as our new nature is when we're walking in the spirit. It's when your second nature response becomes love. It's when your second nature response becomes graciousness and mercy. When your second nature response becomes long-suffering. Oh, they did it to me again. They said it to me again. They belittled me again. They berated me. They called me names in front of my boss. They did this. They talked behind my back. They did all this stuff. And your immediate response is, oh, I'm long-suffering. Keep it coming, devil. You're not phased me. I'm too busy walking in the spirit. Amen. Does that make sense? To walk in the spirit doesn't just mean I become more aware of the spirit of God, but that I also allow my character to be formed by the spirit of God. So let's ask a few elementary questions as we're kind of getting a little intro into this um, series. What is fruit? This idea of the fruit of the spirit. Well, what is fruit? According to the dictionary, fruit is defined as a seed-bearing structure in flowering plants. It is also defined as produce, or what is produced by a flowering plant. I told you about olives and figs. I'm going to talk to you about olives and figs in just a second. I thought an olive was a vegetable. It's actually a fruit. Isn't that funny? Didn't know that. But fruit is defined as a seed-bearing structure in flowering plants. Notice, firstly, it's not just a structure of a flowering plant. It's a seed-bearing structure of a flowering plant, meaning that fruit's intention is to multiply. Fruit's intention is to multiply. God created fruit to multiply. Amen. Glory to God. He doesn't want the apple you eat to be the last apple you ever eat. Think about that for just a second. We take this sort of stuff for granted sometimes. But think about it. Fruit was meant to reproduce. God doesn't want the last cucumber that you eat to be the last cucumber you ever eat. So he puts seed in everything. The Bible says that he puts, he gave seed into everything that he created that it might reproduce. And you can go back and read in the creation story of Genesis and see over and over again all the cool things that God created and, and his intention was for them to reproduce. When God puts love in your heart, he doesn't design love to stop with you. It's a fruit that somebody else gets to enjoy and the intention is as they experience the love of Jesus in you that they receive it and then they become a conduit for the love of Jesus too. Amen. 
We'll get into all this as we dive into this series. It's also defined as produce or what is produced by a flowering plant. It results in the maturing of one or more flowers on the plant. The flower exists automatically, but the fruit has to be cultivated. I learned this when we planted tomatoes years ago, and I had tomato plants that had all kinds of yellow flowers on them, and I wasn't getting any tomatoes on them. And I'd grown up watching my grandmother and my great uncles and, and, and people in my family plant tomatoes with great success. And I thought to myself, why am I not getting any tomatoes? This plant looks healthy. And I realized it's because the, the, the potential for the, plant, for the tomato was in the flower, but somehow it wasn't getting cultivated. And so I had a really beautiful plant with no fruit. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wasn't it Jesus that walked up to a fig tree on his way into Jerusalem out of Bethany and he was looking for figs on a fig tree and couldn't find any? What did he do? He cursed the fig tree. I want to submit to you today that perhaps in that day he was seeing a fig tree that had the potential for fruit but hadn't had any cultivation. You see, the flower exists on its own, the fruit has to be cultivated. In other words, it's not automatic. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a Christian and you're watching online, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Bible's very clear. He takes his residence up and lives in us. Whether or not we bear fruit for him is not up to him. It's up to us. Will we live a yielded lifestyle? Will we cultivate what he's put in us? Only what's cultivated and matured shows up as fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is the evidence of God's character being formed in us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that one down because that is huge and it's something we're going to revisit a lot. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is the evidence, it's the produce of God's character being formed in us. As I said to you, we're going to step on our own toes in this series. And we're going to put the spotlight on our character in the next few weeks because what happens in your private world is so important. One of the pastors that I love and look to is a man named Chris Hodges. He's a pastor of the Church of the Highlands uh, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And he says it this way, you're only as strong as your darkest secret. Not as many amens on that one. Selah. Our lives are only as strong as our darkest secrets. What does he mean to say by that? Is he trying to say that you're you're a bad person or that God's spirit doesn't live in you? No. What he's saying is that your private life matters. Your inner world is very important. And if we don't keep our inner world pure before God, If I allow the pollutants of this world to begin to to recondition my mind to think like the world instead of think like a child of God, then it just leads to trouble. It doesn't mean that I'm no longer, that God doesn't love me or that I'm not his kid anymore. It just means that I'm going to be setting myself up for failure. Our character matters. Amen. Say it again for those in the balcony. Our character matters. Our private lives are important. What people don't see about us is as important or more important than what they do see about us. 
You see, the fruit is what they see. It's what they get to enjoy. But if my character is not being developed by the Spirit of God, they never get to experience the fruit. Only thing they get to experience is instead of love, they get frustration. Somebody cuts me off in the Chick-fil-A parking lot on my way to fresh waffle fries, and if the fruit of the Spirit hasn't been cultivated in my life, they're going to get something that doesn't resemble Jesus. Amen? I got ten fingers. They're going to get one of them. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Hey, don't act like you ain't been there. <laughs> A bunch of pious people, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Now, everybody's had a flesh moment. You ever had a flesh moment before where your flesh won out instead of your spirit? Hey, you know what? There's grace and mercy. We've been singing about how God's such a merciful father. He's a good God. There's forgiveness for every time we ever made a mistake. But I think God's perfect will for us and what it means to walk in the spirit is to let his character override our character and begin to cultivate his traits, his fruit in us. Amen? So now how is fruit formed? I want to give you a few points. How is fruit formed? If we want this fruit of the Spirit to be formed and cultivated in us, how does that happen? Number one, fruit is formed by nourishment. Only healthy plants produce good fruit. Amen. You ever see, we, <laughs> I had a tomato plant. I, I'm going to keep coming back to tomatoes, I guess, because I have a lot of experience with tomatoes, I suppose. I had a tomato plant one time that I was, we were growing it in one of those upside down tomato things that you see as seen on TV. They're trash. They're garbage. They don't work. Okay. They just don't work. We had them, we had them growing on the back porch and these tomatoes, the vines shot out and we're like, man, these are going to be some great tomatoes. Can't wait till they grow. And then just as soon as they started to put some fruit on the vine, they snapped because they were too heavy. They couldn't be sustained under their own weight. And what you learn real fast is that a plant that's not healthy, a plant that's not connected to the source of nourishment, doesn't get to bear good fruit. Instead, it just dies. It just wastes away. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, the mouth of God, or excuse me, the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, his word is our nourishment. It's what keeps, it's what keeps the stalk of my life strong. It's what keeps me rooted into what he has for my life. How's fruit formed? Number one, nourishment. Number two, water. How many of you have ever had a plant you didn't water? We got any professional plant killers in here? It was like, no matter what I do, I just can't keep a house plant alive. Well, you could water it every now and again. That might help. Amen. Water is essential to the life of a plant. Without water... Again, I learned this from my tomato plants. Without water, I could have a green plant, still no fruit. Water, this speaks of the Spirit of God. 
Jesus said in John chapter 7 that it was out of our belly was going to flow rivers of living water. And it goes on to say, this said he of the spirit, which had not yet been poured out. Jesus was prophesying that there was coming one called the Holy Spirit who was going to baptize his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when that happened, out of their belly was going to flow rivers of living water. When the Bible talks about water, so often it's talking about the Spirit of God. It also speaks about the Word of God. Ephesians 5.26 talks to us about how husbands bathe their wives in the pure water of the Word. Gentlemen, our job, if you're married this morning, is to, is to constantly cover your wife in the Word of God. So what house fruit form? Number one, nourishment. Number two, water. Number three, light. Once again... If you take that house plant and put it in a closet, it's going to die. Shocker. But I've been watering this thing. Yeah, but it's not getting light. It needs light to grow. Isn't that an amazing thing that God could create such an, an organism as a plant that it can thrive on light? It's incredible. I read recently about a group of people that were trying to go without eating and they were just going to live on light. They were just going to go sit in the sun for like three days. It was actually funny and sad. One of them died. It was not cool. This is a great way to crash a sermon. You can't survive on light, but plants can. They need nourishment, they need water, and they need light. This speaks of revelation knowledge. The illumination of our understanding when God by his spirit comes and turns the light bulb on in your head and in your heart. Anybody ever had a light bulb moment? You ever been praying and all of a sudden everything you were wondering about just got clear just like that? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit revealing something to you. Can I give you a demonstration of revelation real quick? I didn't intend to do this, but it seems like a good idea. Claire, come here. We're going to pretend like you didn't see this water bottle. Here, hold that. Hold, you know, put your arm out there. There you go. I'm going to need you to hold that there for just a second. Now, we're going to pretend that you don't know that that's a water bottle. Okay? But right now, though it's there, you can't see it. Right? You're prevented from seeing it. There's something in the way that's blocking you from seeing what is there. The Bible talks about revelation and the revealing of things to us by God. And the word revelation in the Greek is the word apokalupsis. And the word apokalupsis means to remove or to take away the thing that covers. So if I want to understand, we throw the word revelation around all the time as Christians. If you want to really understand what it means to have revelation, it's this motion right here. To take the cover off something. And you're seeing something that was there the whole time, but it was just being prevented from you seeing it. You know, you got questions in your life. You got, you got the decisions that you need to make. I mean, every human being needs revelation from God. We need God to come and just take the cover off some stuff and say, Lord, I need to know what decision to make. I need to know what school to go to. Lord, where should I send my kids to school? Which job should I take? Do I trust this person? Do I not trust this person? I can't see what I need to see. And all of a sudden we ask and the Holy Spirit comes and goes like this. 
and you see exactly what you need to see. Thank you. That's revelation. And the Bible, when it talks about revelation, speaks of it in terms of light. In order for the fruit of the Spirit to be formed in you, you're going to need some revelation from God. You're going to need for Him to take the cover off of some stuff. Can you say amen to that? Finally, number four, how is fruit formed? Number one, nourishment. Number two, light. Or excuse me, water. Number three, light. Number four, healthy soil. Now, we're going to talk about healthy soil next week. I have a few more things to tell you before we close. But we're going to talk about healthy soil next week. The Bible speaks in Mark chapter 4 of the ground or the soil of our heart. We're going to get into that next week. You don't want to miss it. That's how fruit is formed. How is the fruit of the Spirit cultivated in us? How is God's fruit cultivated in us? Number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Number one, repeated exposure. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in my life and in your life by continuous and repeated exposure to those elements that we just mentioned. Repeated exposure to the nourishment of God's Word. Repeated exposure, continuous exposure to the water of His Spirit. Repeated and continuous exposure to the light, the revelation knowledge that He has for us. How is it cultivated? Number one, by repeated exposure. Number two, how is the fruit of God's Spirit cultivated in our hearts? It's cultivated over time. It doesn't happen in a day. Why is that important? Because if we're not careful, we'll get frustrated. I got saved two weeks ago and I'm trying to walk in love. doesn't happen in a day. The olive tree will not produce any fruit for a minimum of four to six years after it's been planted. However, once the plant is established and the fruit begins to produce, it will continue to produce for generations. Do you know how old the oldest olive tree is in our world? Claire said 1,000 years. Joe, what did you say? A thousand, couple thousand years. The oldest olive tree is in Greece. It's estimated to be 4,000 years old. And it's still producing fruit. Now, we throw that number around like it's, you know, 4,000 years. That feels like a long time. I think George Washington was alive back then. No. I'll, I'll walk through the, I'll go on a hike down the, you know, mountains of sea trail or somewhere, and I'll look at a big oak tree and go, man, that thing's probably got to be 100 years old. That thing was around during the Civil War. The oldest olive tree is estimated to be 4,000 years old. That means that that tree was planted sometime in the neighborhood in which Father Abraham died. Abraham died in 1991 B.C., not A.D. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember, 91 was a good year. That was a good time. Yeah, that's right. 
Abraham died in 1991 B.C., 2,000 years before Jesus. And this tree would have been planted sometime around then. And it's still producing olives today. What is the point? God's plan, his desire for his character being informed in you is longevity. God's into longevity. He likes things that stay the course. You want to know why? Because that's how he is. The Bible calls him the ancient of days. The Bible calls Jesus the one who was and is and is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you catching a drift here? You're catching, a, 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 you know, something that we see is consistent in the life of God, and he wants our lives to mirror his consistency. I don't know about you. I want to be a 4,000-year-old olive tree that's still producing. I want what God does in my life to impact me, to impact my kids, to impact their kids, to impact their kids, to impact their kids. Proverbs teaches us that it's a wise man who leaves an inheritance for his children's children so that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Why? Because they won the lottery? No, because they had a great, great, great granddad that got the character of God built into them and set the course and the trajectory for their lives. The olive tree is an old tree. God's fruit is cultivated over time. And for the long haul. Number three, how is fruit cultivated? Number one, by repeated exposure. Number two, it's cultivated over time. And number three, it's cultivated through others. We don't develop fruit by being isolated. Hear me. Please, please, please hear me. We do not develop the fruit of the Spirit by being isolated. I know you think it's just you and Jesus. It's not. Amen. Can we just talk real for just a second? I'm almost done. We have this idea. Well, you know, brother, it's just me and Jesus. No, it's not. You need me and I need you. You don't need to be missing church six weeks in a row and then just come around and be like, hey, brother, don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. The fruit of the spirit is cultivated through others. Part of the development of fruit relies on our interactions with others in the body of Christ. Amen? It's almost like the Bible's true. Amen. I mean, wasn't it Proverbs that says iron sharpens iron? Isn't there some kind of critical interaction that has to happen within the body of Christ for us to have the opportunity to develop and cultivate some fruit of love, some fruit of patience? Listen, if I'm by myself, I don't need to be patient. Right? I could be as hasty as I want to be if I'm on an island. Who's it going to impact? Nobody. Right? We're not on an island, we're not isolated. We're part of a body. And that body, yeah, we're part of a cluster. Who said that? That's, yes, thank you, sir. We're part of a cluster of grapes. Y'all were here a couple weeks ago. We're part of the cluster. We're not isolated. We're not alone. The new wine comes out of the cluster of grapes. Most plants and flowers are not self-pollinating. 
They need bees to carry pollen from one plant to the next. Bees go into a flower. Y'all remember this from fourth grade? Bees go into a flower and their movement and interaction with the flower is what causes the fruit to pollinate. The agitation of the interaction is what causes the process to begin. A bee gets into a flower and moves around. Feels good to be in this flower. It's warm. I like it. And while they're doing that, the flower gets agitated. And, the, and the, I don't remember all the scientific terms for this, but the male molecules and the female molecules inside that flower come into contact when the bee goes and agitates it. It's not a negative thing. It's just an interaction. There's sometimes that we have conversations with each other and our conversations, the interaction of our conversation is like a bee on the inside of a flower stirring stuff up. And I need to learn to tap into love and I need to learn to tap into patience and long suffering and gentleness and meekness and kindness and all the fruits of God's spirit. Those things get cultivated when we interact with one another. Did you know there's a wasp that is needed for figs to grow? I know you thought I forgot about the fig. There's a wasp that's needed for figs to grow. It's called a fig wasp. It's a technical term. It actually crawls into the inverted flower and causes the process of germination to begin. Iron sharpens iron. We need each other. If I don't have you, and if you don't have me, how can we ever learn to walk in love? <laughs> we need each other. We need each other. You can close your Bibles. I'm done preaching. As we close today, I want to make one final point that I want you to remember. Because we're going to keep this thought throughout this entire Fruit of the Spirit discussion over the next several weeks. I want us to remember this. That the fruit of the Spirit must be formed in you first before it can be seen on you. The fruit of the Spirit must be formed in you first before it can be seen on you. What does that mean? That means that before you can express the love of Jesus, you need to receive the love of Jesus. That means that before you can express long-suffering, you need to experience his long-suffering towards you. Before you can give mercy, you need to receive mercy. Now, I don't know your background, your history, where you came from, or what got you to this moment, but what I do know is that God has a whole lot of things in store that he wants you to receive so that by receiving them, you'll be in a position to Grow that fruit in your life and be an extension of his love and his mercy and his kindness to others. The fruit of the Spirit must be formed in us first and then it will be seen on us. I think so many times we want to we get to third base without going to first base and second base first. We just say, Lord, I just want to walk in love. Yeah, but you've got to experience his love first. You've got to know his love. You've got to have had an interaction with his love. Because you can't give what you don't have. 
I'd love to give you $5 million today. I sure would. But I don't have it to give you. Let us never go through life wishing we could give the fruits of God's spirit away without ever having received of those same fruits. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet as we close today. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.